On this episode of Bootstrappers, we're going to speak with Sarah Furling of Furling Coaching and Facilitation about what executive coaches can do for entrepreneurs. In this episode, we're going to cover what coaching exactly is, what kinds of things high-earning individuals focus on, and how it's different from therapy in general. That's on this episode of Bootstrappers. Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to Bootstrappers, where we talk about topics that matter to real estate entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, and I'm here with my spouse, Jeremy Aspen. (laughs) And we have an exciting show today where we're going to talk to a professional executive coach uh, about how she can transform your business and leadership skills. In this show, we're going to talk to Sarah Furling, international executive coach who transforms the lives of many of our friends and business contacts. Right, Jeremy? Like we know so yep. many people yeah. <laughs> that yeah, seek I'd out help from Sarah. I know. Today, and people just rave about how transformative. Excuse me, how transformative her approach is. Um, and so, I can't wait to talk to her more about that. Um, so uh, Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim. Anaquim helps property management companies and real estate outfits and actually getting into more and more industries on accident all the time. <laughs> um, and we're, our goal is to help uh, those companies scale and increase their profitability just by turning us on. Um, we use we have virtual assistant services and we have a 24-hour call center, back office support. And uh, if you need to get in touch with us, Click the link below. Um, also, if you're a fan of the show, share with your friends as often as you can. Please like it. Apparently, that helps. I don't know if you've heard. And uh, subscribe on YouTube. Leave us a nice message and a five-star review on Apple, and we'll send you a little gift, which we'll talk about later. Actually, we're mixing that up this week. Um, but we love the feedback. We're trying to make the show better um, for all the entrepreneurs and any of our listeners out there. See how we can make the show more useful. Uh, Yeah, so so should we get to it? Let's do it. So we're talking about executive coaching, and I know, Jeremy... I have a question. (laughs) What is it? Well, we're we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about what it is, uh, what kind of people use it, how it can help them. Um, But you have a lot of friends in your circles that use executive coaching, right, Jeremy? Uh, Yeah, and actually, uh, so I would say that coming up... I'm trying to say this in a, in a way that doesn't sound conceited, but like coming up, this never even was a thing. I never re- I had heard of the industry and whatnot, but it never really became uh, something that I was aware of until, I don't know, you get to a certain level. And then, holy shit, everybody <laughs> uses a life coach or, or, executive or an coach. executive coach or business coach. Everybody. Um, so I kind of feel a little bit behind uh, the game. Yeah, a little bit behind the game because I've actually never gone to. This will show how weak I am. I've never been to a therapist. I've never been to a psychologist. I've never been to anyway, and that's probably why I'm all kinds of goofed up. <laughs> I just, I, but it never really was a thing. And I think, you know, over the course of the years, you're working so hard trying to get your company off the ground. Especially when you're not as when you're kind of uh, not very smart like me, you got to worry about a whole, you know patching a whole bunch of holes. Well, maybe you could have used a coach when you were going through that 
insomnia stage. Yeah, well, so I wouldn't have even known to call a coach, and that's something we should probably talk about. My dad died of ALS, um, and, and and we don't need to talk about it now, but I went through about two years of just anxiety, and it was transformative. And it, it hurt your productivity at work, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, and but I handled things a little bit differently. I think my friends, all smarter than me, I think, um, they used a life coach or some yeah they would have been getting the help right so maybe i just had to muscle through it which took a long time and i've i'll walk through that story too because that i think yeah see if i was right and i've used therapists before for like trauma or you know other issues at work my big concern was that i went to a therapist an actual therapist and said hey, I think I've tapped out at my work potential, you know, and I want to get to that next stage, and maybe I should have sought out specifically an executive coach instead of a therapist. So I guess we'll talk (laughs) about that. But that's why this is kind of an interesting show is because there are a lot of avenues people can go to for help, and maybe this can lead us in the right direction so people don't waste money or time going the wrong Yeah, so direction. I suppose it shows a lot like, try not to be like me. Know what the tools are out there that you can use to make yourself, I think, if I'm not stepping out of turn here, happier and better, more and, efficient and, at life. And a better leader through. for the people that spend eight hours a day working for you. So this sounds like a good time that we should bring in the lovely Sarah Furling. How are you? I'm great today. Thank you, you guys, for having me here. Oh my gosh, we are so excited to talk to you. Literally, all of our friends just rave about your services. Um, Many of them see you in particular or someone on your team for various different reasons. So just, uh, if you wouldn't mind, Sarah, just telling us a little bit about your journey in becoming a professional executive coach. Okay, great. So I uh, was an entrepreneur myself. I started in the field of mental health. So I owned my own mental health counseling agency. I was in Hastings, just a little not too far away. Me too. That's where I grew up. St. Cecilia's. Oh, nice. (laughs) That's where his mom went. Nice. Oh my God, there's three Hastings people here. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So what happened was, and you guys know this about the changing landscape of mental health with the introduction of managed mental health care and all those kinds of things, the things I loved about being a therapist um, actually started being overshadowed by all of the extra work and changes. Um, Ultimately, I don't believe in pathologizing individuals either. Mm. So, um, Jeremy, I want to come back to what you said about your own coping skills and how you handled this. Uh, But actually what happened was I had a friend from college. Some of you will know him, Gordon Witten, who is uh, an entrepreneur here in town. He's kind of a serial entrepreneur, I would say, who loves to start things and get them going. We met, it was probably back in 2014, actually, I think his dad had just passed away, Mm -hmm. and he was in town for the funeral. Uh, We met for lunch, and it was Gordon who said, you you should become a professional executive coach. The way we just sat and had this conversation is exactly what every single one of my friends could use and benefit from. So what happened was I mindfully went to look at okay, what do I love about what I'm doing now, and how can I make that positive difference in people's lives? So 
all things, you know, when you're aligned with your highest calling, I have this belief that things just fall into place. That's exactly what happened. Um, I think as a therapist, I always felt a true calling to to make a difference in in a very small, quiet way. One family, one person, uh, healing people, kind of one person at a time. What's happened with coaching and what I'm finding incredibly exciting, enthusiastic, I'm, I'm just so enthusiastic and energized by it, is now I'm creating a difference by working with these influencers or leaders. So we are creating, co-creating, what do they want to do in their business, in their lives, and we're creating this positive ripple of impact. Mm. In our world today, there's so much di- divisiveness. Wait. <laughs> Have you really? noticed? Okay, no, <laughs> Have you I'm, noticed? I'm gonna look out for that. I'll, I'll look on social media, see if I can find any. Yeah, so, so what's interesting about that is it actually feels more meaningful, mm. more powerful to me as far as living my core values and making this positive difference, not, not only in a, a company, but with their family, with their community, for me and our nation, and even in the world community, being able to help people lean in and understand each other and connect rather than, I don't know, face off in their corners and be ready to fight. I just think there's a better way. So I actually, um, and we're gonna have to put a link down at the bottom, but I wrote a column for the World Herald, and it kind, just last week it published or whatever, um, and it was about, it was actually contrasting, I was saying the, the thesis was that you don't really need to unite. What we need to do is not be a dick. Yeah, like, right. I mean, and at some degree, And have good conversations. Because we can still have yeah. differences. We all do, and we're not gonna change that. They're Trump supporters, they're anti-Trumpers, they're Biden supporters, and you're probably not gonna change them, and so we can't hope that people are gonna change their behavior and their beliefs just so they can get along, or lest they have to suppress their thoughts and beliefs. Yes. Otherwise, and then they're not even who they're, they're not even who, being who they are, and then how are you supposed to love them? or get along with them or work right. with them. That's so, so yeah, getting, so I'm sure you work with a lot of people on working through differences and finding cohesion where you can find it and then allowing people to be who they are, maybe approaching it in a different way, that kind of thing. Absolutely, I think um, figuring out how can you collaborate with people who are different yeah. and tolerate and be civil. We've lost some of that mm. just just niceness, mm-hmm. politeness. Right, I'm not right. sure it what's happened with that. It, it, I mean, it drives me nuts. I mean, I actually think about this one once in a while. It's the rule is just the, like, the golden rule, right? Just right. treat people the way you want to be treated, you know? <laughs> Absolutely, but I want to get back to this question because you are a therapist by background, and then you switch directions, and now you're an executive coach. What really is the true difference yeah. between a therapist and an executive coach? Well, let me share also something that was really surprising for me to find out when I made this transition. Um, You know, most coaches are business coaches. If you're an executive coach, you have an MBA. Um, If you're Mm. well-trained, life coaches might come out of the field of mental health or they might just be someone who's figured out, oh, I know how to thrive in my life, so let me be helpful. What was really fascinating, what, what I've just, I'm so humbled by that I had no idea about, 
was how much uh, people crave someone who understands the complexities of life. So I stepped into this thinking, hmm, I wonder how this will go. Turns out there's a huge need. In fact, my entire niche has been around social, emotional intelligence, communication, and relationship building. Everybody has something. So Jeremy, your stories, I think everybody has a story. So the challenge, I think, is being able to be vulnerable to know that one of the things I love about my EO clientele and and EO people in general, I don't know if you're do you read your listeners know EO. So, so let me. I'm an EO. Yeah, so it stands for Entrepreneurs Organization. We should probably say that. And it is an organization that's internationally renowned in almost any state or city you can find an EO chapter. Yes. But that's a big part of your clientele, Sarah. Yes, it's where my clientele started. And one of the things that I love about my EO clientele and EOers in general is they are scrappy, right? Entrepreneurs, they are willing to fight it out, figure it out. They're street fighters, whatever works. Yes. And I think that's probably why you muscled through. Mm. Um, Entrepreneurs are willing to take a little higher risk than the average person. They're willing to be uncomfortable. And frankly, they have some zone of genius or some extra skills that the average person doesn't because average people don't have that kind of success. So that develops what I always think of. I kind of um, affectionately think of it as this Superman complex where you kind of power through. Mm. And so... You did that. Would have it been helpful to have a confidential sounding board? Maybe. Oh. Would have it uh, yeah. helped you sleep? Possibly. Yeah. Dad died in sixteen, and I didn't get my first night's sleep until like the middle of no, it was like 18. August 2018, because yeah. I decided I was going to start to sleep. Because I read, I like Steven Pinker. He's a social psychologist. I like yes. Jonathan Haidt. I like. Jeffrey Miller, he's more on the business side. But I just kind of put some things together and it was like, I put together my own kind of tool packet and made it work. I think it worked. I mean, I've been Well, you're sleeping now. Yeah, so, but to your point, it could have been faster. faster. (laughs) Yeah, so that's your entrepreneurial spirit. Or just. Let me figure it out. And mm -hmm. then you do. So two years sounds pretty painful, actually. Yeah, yeah, two years is a long haul. Well, so I had never slept four and a half, five hours a night. It was my whole life, my whole adult life. And um, so then I, my dad died and had ALS, and so I thought, well, I got scared, and I slept less. Yeah. And I knew that that wasn't good going on, for, on yeah. a go-forward basis. So I mixed things up. I figured things out, did a little mindfulness stuff, just mm-hmm. thinking about yes. one thing, and that helped yes. me fall asleep. And to this day, I can sleep. That's so good. here's here's my question, though. If, if an executive or an entrepreneur has a problem, how do they know which route is appropriate based on their problem? Does that make sense? Yeah, sure, of course. So people hire coaches for a variety of reasons. Um, 50%, I think the statistic is actually 49% of the time people hire an executive coach or a life coach because they want a confidential sounding board. And when we think about EO or uh, millionaire, multimillionaire, billionaire individuals, having a confidential sounding board is incredibly valuable. So are they protected by um, the patient doctor confidentiality. So it's thing. not the same as um, HIPAA. HIPAA, but yes, there are standards, especially if you have somebody who's certified. Um, yes, they, we have 
a board of ethics. We have ethical standards and all mm. kinds of guidelines. So yes, everything is confidential. Um, so ha about half of the time, people are hiring a coach to have a confidential sounding board. The average person thinks that a leader, an owner, a millionaire, multimillionaire, billionaire, they have it made. They think, oh, what else could you want? The truth is there's all kinds of sacrifice that comes with being the leader and that it's incredibly lonely. Um, that you, the buck kind of stops with you and it's difficult to be able to be honest or transparent mm. about actually the very best things and the very worst things. So if you think about the top 10%, 5%, you maybe don't wanna admit that to your team. Um, you, want, you want your employees, your team to know you're being successful, but you maybe don't want them to know you're making a multiple of 10. Yes. Um, because then people are coming to you and saying, mm, so where's my cut, where's my share? Right. And also you might not want to say the worst things. Mm -hmm. For sure not the bottom, I don't know, 20, 30% to people in your company, you don't wanna freak them out. Right. And sometimes you don't even wanna tell your spouse because you don't want your spouse to freak out. So it's very lonely. So there's a lot of pressure. So 50% is that confidential sounding board. Um, another quarter, I think it's 24%, something like that. They have a goal. They have something they want to achieve. So in business, maybe it is they're looking for a promotion in life. Maybe there's something they just want to achieve and they want support. Then we have this interesting 13%, um, which I always call the rough edges. So this is when you're a leader or an executive or just a person where you sabotage yourself. You've got something that's getting in your way of being successful. So then that kind of coaching is more, let's smooth out those So that's more the edges. therapy angle. Um, maybe, although you guys know my clientele, they're the outliers, right? They're the top 1%. They're incredibly successful. They're super high achievers. They might, so let me give, give an example of a way they might sabotage themselves. Um, I might have a leader who uh, blows up, has a short fuse with mm. their temper, and they end up causing chaos, hurting people. There's a lot of secondary costs where then we've got wasted productivity. They have to go back, clean up, apologize. And that kind of stuff really impacts the success of a business and the success of your team. Mm. So that might be an example. Mm -hmm. But you might have to like dig a little bit deeper to find the root so that, cause it's not as easy as saying, well, just don't blow up. Oh, so yeah. that's where the yes. the real digging yes. goes. So, so you did ask the difference between coaching yeah. and therapy. Mm -hmm. So uh, the way I think of it, if you can imagine, is from today looking back, that's a therapist's perspective. There's two things you might think about. It's very past-focused, trauma-focused. Mm -hmm. Maybe we've got somebody, most of the time for therapy, you might have someone who's impaired in their ability to function. So we're working with someone who we're just trying to get up to healthy functioning. Got it. And there's a real focus on problems. What's not working? What happened? Let's heal the past. Coaching is today looking forward. Mm. And, and actually my favorite way of coaching is not just how do we show up at our best today, but what do we wanna create? So what's the vision? What, whether it's life coaching or executive coaching or for your entire company, 
What's the vision that inspires you? And how do we show up in a way that isn't just bringing down your hammer, this is what we're gonna do, but let me inspire you with what's happening or I'm so inspired about the future that it pulls me there. So, so it's, it's more like positive psychology then, right? Because yeah. it's more focused on the positive and vision and yes. moving forward. Now, definitely for me, that would be my brand. But I'm a strength-based coach. Mm-hmm. Um, that's important to me. What I know is that, uh, Jeremy, you might be interested in this because you talked about your anxiety. 50% of happiness actually is based on your genetic set point. Mm. So it's your, it's how, 50%, it's how you're wired. So I know I'm wired to worry. I can see it in my dad. I can see it in my dad's mom. She was an incredible worrier. <laughs> I come by it very naturally. Only 10% is based on circumstances. And, and you know this. I bet if I asked you, you know this to be true. People think, oh, if I had a million dollars, I'd be... Right. I, I'd be... I'd never have another trouble in the world. We all know millionaires, multi... I know a billionaire who's miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not actually that that's going to solve things. We also know on the flip side of that, which I, I love... It means we think if I lose my job or something bad happens, I'm never going to be happy again when the truth is, okay, it affects us, right. but only 10%. We have a lot more grit and resiliency than we think. So that's important to remember in a time right now where we have lots of worries, um, pandemic worries, political worries, uh, you know, financial health of our companies, of mm-hmm. our own lives, of, of the world. In general, I think people worry about a lot of that. As a coach, here's what I'm obsessed about. Love to think about. The 40% that's left, do you want to guess what it is? Mm. What do you think? I'm, I'm at a loss, do you know? Mm-mm. I do, definitely don't know. Make a guess, because I think you could get there. <laughs> Math. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> no. Uh, you actually kind of named it, so I thought you might have it, Jeremy. Actually, it's how you show up. It's choice. It's your intentional Mm. choice, how you choose to think and what you choose to do with your behavior. Mm. So if you're wired to worry and you make a behavioral choice, I'm gonna drink and smoke and I'm gonna think about all the things that stress me out, you are not gonna feel better. Mm. (laughs) Right. If you make an intentional choice to say, okay, wait, let me practice mindfulness so I can switch gears, get out of reactive thinking into healthier, let me be responsive, and let me choose to channel my anxiety by going for a morning run every day and then um, kickboxing or yeah. something. There's a, there's a lot of other ways you can handle that that are healthier. Okay, so question, you said mindfulness, I said mindfulness earlier, and I think that puts me into kind of like the like yoga crowd, right? I mean, that's what I think people look in through the camera and they're like, well, that's wants a yoga everyone freak. to know he does not do yoga. I don't do yoga and I don't even do um, I don't, I, I, mindfulness. I mean, I, in the traditional sense and like the discipline, I stole from it. Um, but so how do you, is it goofy anymore? Like, is it being more accepted than it used to be, the, just the word? 
Absolutely it is. And and part of it is, is and I think it's great that you're admitting that you think, uh, is this goofy? People are afraid that that means we're all going to hold hands and sing kumbaya right. or meditate or something. <laughs> right. I don't even know the words. So the when, when we think about that 40%, how we think, how we behave, how we show up, we, we really have a choice. Thoughts are, I mean, this is what makes us humans, right? Um, when I think about mindfulness and what makes us be at our best, it's our ability to have executive functioning skills. So mindfulness, one of my favorite statistics to share with people is just stopping and being mindful. I'm a brain nerd. I don't, right. I don't think I've warned you about this. If we stop and do some a good mindfulness, simple technique, deep breathing, if you're stressed out, you take 20 seconds to do three to five deep breaths. You actually stop the production of the catecholamines and your stress hormones in your brain, like adrenaline. If you add to that for two minutes, so deep breathing, two minutes, thinking about counting your blessings or thinking about what you're grateful for, you actually start the production of your feel-good hormones. So. Mindfulness is a really simple, incredibly effective way. And there's way. gotta be a better word for it, but there's no replacement for it because a lot of our lives we're looking backwards and that causes anxiety. Like, you know, if you're looking back, most likely if you're looking back, you're probably thinking about something that you did wrong or you could have done differently and that's not useful unless you're mindful and you're deploying, because you can only do the um, executive function in real time. Like it is, it is right. part of the brain that will only work if you're doing it right now so you've got you can look back in time using your executive function but you've got to be able to get away from the past and the future if you're going to be able to like be mindful let's come up with a new word yeah i often use i just use the the term um self-awareness or notice because if we notice what's happening with our internal dialogue, which we're all having an noticed. ongoing yeah. conversation, if we can notice that, we can disrupt it and we can make a change. And that's really where our point of power lies. Maybe you read that book, The Power of Now. It was written, yeah. written by Eckhart Tolle. So he really says 95% of what we're dealing with it's either in the past, which we cannot change, or it's stuff in the future that we're just freaking ourselves out right, about. Yeah. So he, he likes to say, push the past back, push the future out, and live in the now. And there's really some truth mm. to, we really have the ability to choose that. But it is a discipline, and it does involve training, you know, creating new neural pathways. How can we think differently? How do, can we behave differently? So we really can be our best. Um, so I, I love. God, there's one. Thing I love I talking about all I'm that kind of stuff. I'm not going to because it's so long-winded and, and detailed. But well, I just have a question. If you are going to engage in coaching, what is it that actually happens in the coaching sessions? Give us examples and names. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, is it like a program or yeah. uh, how does how does the okay. process unfold? Well, so I can tell you my process yeah. and then we can compare that for it. The, so there's lots of different ways people approach coaching. Uh, I always say that I have this dynamic, du dynamic duo. Um, often when you hire a coach, you, you're, you get one of two things. You get an insight coach, someone who helps you connect the dots, 
or you get an accountability coach, mm. which is what do you want to do? Let's create goals around that. Okay, what are you going to get done in the next two weeks? Great. Check back with you in two more weeks. There's value to both. It's really been a surprise for me to learn that most coaches really do one or the other. Mm. The thing that I've loved and where I think kind of that dynamic duo for me comes is being able to help people have those aha moments. It's part of the process, but then creating, okay, so now what are we gonna do with this? Because aha moments are fabulous, but often you just have them and then you move on to whatever the next thing is. So that you you're help people about. execute the aha moment. Yeah. yeah. So mm. what do we now you just had this great insight. What do you want to do with that? So is it like putting together a project, a plan? It and then, can be, yes. So do you notice and it, it, when you're working with uh, maybe the money makers of the world that they actually do the homework? Absolutely. Or are they harder to get no. to do the homework? It, I would say absolutely people who are high high performers they don't even need me to hold them accountable it we it's almost as if we shift gears where i care and i'm very invested so i actually do care what are they doing they commit to me this is the next thing that's going to happen they do it even sometimes people will say to me when we come back to the next session um i'll say well what were your action steps how'd you do they'll they'll say oh I'm not sure I remember. And 95% of the time we'll go back, we'll look. They've, they have achieved what they said they would. Yeah. Um, so the, the process for our clientele really is, we have the first thing, which is a vetting kind of process for our clients. Now I have a, a group of associate coaches who work with me and that I collaborate with. We have a process where we create the hell yes. So the mm. coach, and the client both have to have this feeling of, hell yes, I wanna work with that person. Mm. So I have this nice diverse group of people that I can hopefully match companies up, different levels. Maybe someone's going through a divorce, they want life coaching. Maybe I've got a company owner who says, my mid-level management team, culture is really not great. Can we do group coaching with these mm. guys? I've got someone to help with that. Sometimes it's the C-suite, sometimes it's the owner themselves who now has a successful business, often it's an entrepreneur, now they're at the top, at the top. And they're kind of there thinking, what's next? What's okay. next or wait, this, I don't feel as fulfilled, right? I, I thought this would feel different at yeah. this level. So yeah. we have first the hell yes, the matching. Go ahead, Jeremy, well, I was a question. Say, so that kind of rolls up into a question I had had about what the definition of success is. Uh, so I'm sure that it has something to do with, you know, everybody has their own definition of success. But so is what a life coach doing, making sure that people are in a position that they recognize that they have had some successes or that they are successful? Possibly. I think, I think certainly for me, the approach that I like to do is um, based, it's rooted in positive psychology, which is a relatively new field, mm -hmm. and it's building on what's working. So I'm a strength-based 
I'm certified as a strength-based coach. I'm also a maximizer. So mm. I like to take things. I don't like to take things that are average and make them a little better. I like to take things that are exceptional and make them extraordinary. Mm. I'm whether, a maximizer too. Yeah, so whether it's, so you get it. So yeah. it's whether it's an idea, a company, a person, their goal, um, man, I love to just bring it to the very best it can possibly be. Once we have the hell yes, um, then I've got questionnaires depending on the type of coaching that you want, whether it's executive coaching, team coaching, you might be legacy coaching, life coaching, we've got a questionnaire that goes out. We create a goal or sometimes an area of life uh, that you wanna work on. All of the coaching then that we're doing, whether it's me or someone on the team, rolls up in support of that goal. My process usually is we check in. I love to use the check-in process, share a business best, a business challenge, if we're executive coaching, personal best, personal challenge, if it's life coaching. If I'm doing transformational work with partners in their business, same thing. Um, if it's relationship coaching, which is one of the things I'm still really energized and love to do, then it's a family best in challenge, a relationship best in challenge. Then we check in on action steps. So at the end of each session, there, there will be next steps based on what we've talked about. What's most exciting? What do you wanna try? What resonates? And then each client will say, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. So we'll create, and I have a little process that we go through to help people decide what are they gonna focus on. Then usually I will ask, what's happening right now? Where's your pain point? What do we need to work on? Or what would make today really valuable? Where's your head? What do we need to focus on? We coach around that. Then we create action steps around that. Very often, the theme for the day, whatever we're looking at, rolls up to those bigger goals. Mm, that's so cool. So is that helpful? That gives you a little process. Extremely helpful. So if I'm looking for a coach, how do I know that I'm matched up with the right person to get that hell yes experience as you describe it? Uh, honestly, I think part of it is you just feel energized. You're thinking, oh, this person has ideas. Um, I like them. There has to be kind of this mm -hmm. click. There's a lot to be said about how to find a good qualified coach, but the matching part is easy. You know, for me, I'm a brain nerd, so what happens when I talk to people is I start having these ideas. Um, tools, models, thoughts about, oh wow, okay wait, yes, I have thoughts about this, hey, we could coach around this. It's usually really, really fun. When I know I have a hell yes, I'm thinking about that initial conversation I don't know, probably for 24 to 48 hours where I'm thinking, okay, wait, and I've got this whole idea. I'm a web thinker, so then mm. I have this whole idea of different directions and things we could do and ways we could so go. So building that project to get them to yeah. maximize their potential. Yeah, it's kind of co-creating. That's so fun. In, <laughs> it is, actually. In doing that, I'm, so we have these different kinds of coaches and they all kind of focus on their own thing, like there's the family, there's business and all that. Um, so it sounds like it has to become a work-life balance, which by the way, I don't like that phrase. No, me uh, it, it almost puts the two in contrast with each other, but everyone will understand what work-life balance is, right? Um, so, well, they might not actually know what it means. Well, I'm curious what your yeah, yeah. thoughts are How about, about that? just work-life harmony? 
Harmony. So one of the things that happens that I see, and then we'll, then I want to hear your question, is people have a business, especially my the, the individuals I'm working with, and the business takes over their lives. And just around the edges is kind of how they fit in the rest of their lives. Or it's binary, I'm all work, or I'm on vacation. And part of what I think I love doing and working with particularly my clients and in my own life, what I'm aspiring to do and create is to create a life I absolutely love that my business is part of Mm. and that it fits together and there's this harmonious flow back and forth. I think that's a much healthier way to be. Um, there's a, yeah. And I, I think people struggle because they think that it's impossible to find that. But then that typically is like a delegation problem or not having the be. right team members. If you think it's impossible, yeah. oh, I could never have any work-life balance. I could never have this work-life harmony as you describe it. Then it's really just trying to get the puzzle pieces in the right places so it's possible. Is that yeah. an area that you help people part a, a lot? That's definitely part A. Part B is thinking about your mindset. What are you focusing on? Where's your head? If that's what you believe, you know, the reticular activator part of our brain, that's the part that selects relevant data out of the environment. You would know it. Do you want to hear about that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, That's really, if we think about Cro-Magnon Man, where we came, the reticular activator is what served us well. Men would go out hunting, scan the environment. They're looking for game, and then they're quickly motivated, fight or flight, right? Kill or get the hell out of Dodge, run. Women did the same thing, only they were making noise to keep predators at bay, and they were scanning the environment, looking for things like, I don't know, roots and vegetables, I don't know, berries, stuff to eat. Today, we have that same action that happens in our brain. It's it's driven by the reticular activator. You would know it, a modern day example is um, if you're gonna buy a new car and you start thinking about what color do I want and then the next time you get out on the road, you see like 20. Yes, yes. Have you, yes. Oh yeah. Or when I first decided we were gonna start having a family, I was 30. it's like nowadays, every it's like time everybody I see a has Ferrari, a baby. you know, I'm like, oh, it's just like, <laughs> so I just get out and have one. <laughs> but we all have seen that, right? Yeah. We know how that works. So I think mindset's an incredibly mm. powerful point of this because if what you're thinking you're going to find is negative, you know what? You will. Mm. People have read the book, The Secret. Oh, it's all this. There's another example of woo-woo kind of yeah. thinking. The science behind that really is what we intend, what we focus on, that changes our conversations. It changes what we notice. The reticular activator does a bunch of the work for mm, us. That's so interesting. So when people choose, when they're really deliberate about their goals, when they have a great project yes. that they're working on with a coach, then the biology kind of backs it up and supports you on your progress is what I'm yes. hearing you say. Is that yes. correct? There's a great book written. It's called your, um, The Best Year Yet, Your Best Year Yet. Um, she did research and she showed that the one common thread between the top 
wealth earners in America, they all had one thing. It wasn't where they came from. It wasn't race, socioeconomic status, background, any of that. It was that they all had a list of their goals within their fingertips. They had it in their wallet, they had it in their planner, now it's in their iPhone, but they had it and it was a working, living, mm. breathing document. What we say we're gonna do has a huge impact on what we're doing. So do you find Which, that there are a lot of journal writers in your, or people that are always writing or thinking about their personal life in that kind of way? I have not found that to be the case. <laughs> it's, it's like we don't take time to write, which I really do enjoy yeah. doing. We don't take the time to do it because we're kind of busy doing other things. We default to the urgent, mm -hmm. important stuff or sometimes urgent, non-important stuff. What is really helpful and what I think is the gift of coaching is getting to the non-urgent, mm. but really vitally important, strategic thinking, yeah. setting those kinds of goals. The gift of coaching, regardless of what type of coaching you are doing, is that you have this space created and it's held with your coach. You know you're coming back to those things. Do, do you guys both know how, um, you know, have you, you have that thought like, oh man, I should think about that someday. Or you're starting to think about something, but then you get a text and then you get in your mm -hmm. phone. And I've then got you a get... whole part in my book yeah. about yes. things I don't want to forget. So the thing that's beautiful, and, and I found that this in my own coaching, you just know you're going to get to that because you've created the conditions where you have time and space that's defined with someone who's gonna help bring you back to, wait a minute, this is that big vision you have. Mm. What are you doing? I think it's kind of similar to like budgeting uh, for a business. Sure. You, you, I, I believe that budgeting is more, um, uh, it's, it's something that you do to create a path that you need to constantly think about. Now, whether or not you actually achieve those exact goals is kind of second to the day-to-day -day activities that are derived from having yeah. the goals. You know, and so you might have a different outcome at the end, but you're thinking, you're constantly thinking of the things you need to think about in order right. to get to where you're going. So it sounds like changing your life would be something like that. You're a cognitive, it's a cognitive budget, essentially. Yeah. That you're putting it together so that you need to think about these things. Right, because otherwise we default, we get, I mean, there's a lot of things we can get distracted by in today's day and age. Mm -hmm. So this really is this luxury of, oh great, because now I can think, oh, I've got this next step, this thing I want to create, and I'll know, oh yeah, I'm going to do that in my coaching session. And I think my clients experience that too. So because we uh, have our attention taken in so many different ways, what coaching does is it helps you focus on the most important thing and keep it in the forefront of your mind so that the things that aren't important like Facebook or Twitter or things that we don't have control over, right. Right. kind of lose their significance because we're focused on and deriving the best out of our lives. Yeah, but how are you supposed to find the truth if you're not on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> think about it. <laughs> yeah, let's think. <laughs> so what are the key, th when you work with all these high-earning individuals, what are the major issues uh, that you see people focusing on? Maybe the, you know, the most common 80% of people are working on these particular issues. Are there some big ones, like delegating or? So so delegating would be a tool. You're asking okay. why, what would be the, 
the top reason why my clientele hire yes. hire me. Um, let me start with just explaining how I look at coaching. I kind of see that there are three levels to coaching. So the surface level is I have a problem. Let's coach on that problem. Great. Uh, check the box. I've solved the problem. I'm done with coaching. The next layer, layer down is I have an area of life I'm struggling in. Struggling in. So it might be leadership coaching or it might be... Marriage. Yeah, I want to I want to create a healthy relationship. <laughs> so then you might coach specifically along that. So a lot of corporations, companies that I work with would hire um, me or someone on the team to do leadership coaching to work on social emotional intelligence, cultural awareness, communication skills, team building, that type of thing. For me, the luxury that I'm at right now is I get to do, and what I love doing, is the deepest kind of coaching, which is I want to show up to my life differently. It's a complete paradigm shift for I want to show up differently with my family, with my friends, at my business, and in the world. So maybe it's I have a huge, I've made it. I have a legacy I want to create. I haven't had time to do that because I've been a scrappy entrepreneur, just working, working, working. Now I've made it. Now I want to stop and assess. Mm. What does success mean? Success, right, isn't a number. There's a well-being, a sense of. You know how I kind of have done it? I always asked myself, who would I rather be? And if the answer wasn't me, like I would not rather, then then I had stuff to work on. Yeah. You know, I like being me, and I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't, I mean, honestly. Except I would, for your wife. No. Well, yeah, but I can do that part-time. <laughs> I can, <laughs> oh, my God. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change. But that's kind of how you can calibrate success, I think, to some extent. Would you do anything different? Because the truth of the matter is that if you don't have trials and tribulations, then you're not moving forward. You're not doing anything. You start to stagnate. You get to be bored. And then you fall into depression, I mean, it's a, it's the, um, what's the, the word I'm looking for? Treadmill. The hedonic treadmill. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if you don't keep something in front of you, you're going to stop. So my guess is that you're an individual really interested in self-actualization, that growth and learning, you're open to possibilities. You're always growing. I'm a learner. Always. Like I, that's my favorite thing. Matter of fact, brain is one of my favorite topics. Psychology, not psychology. But brains. Yeah. So if someone wants to t uh, dip their toe into coaching, what would you recommend their first step be? Think about, well, hmm. I think there's a couple different ways. So, so this goes back to a question you asked earlier about how do you pick the right coach? Mm. A lot of people might have an entry level 12 week coaching course. So that's a little like buying a suit off the rack. Mm -hmm. um, where you could try it, maybe not a huge financial investment, often group coaching, something like that costs a little less. Or there might be a 12-week one-on-one program, but it's not necessarily catered to you. Mm. So you could test someone that way. Gosh, now lots of coaches have a podcast. You can watch things. You can... I always say interview people. We're coming up right now on, to Thanksgiving. Um, I heard a comedian once say, 
that the best piece of pumpkin pie you ever had isn't actually that much better than the worst slice of pumpkin pie. I actually think coaching's the exact opposite. I think there is a huge difference between the best coach you could hire and the worst coach you could hire. So it's kind of the Mm anti-example to pumpkin pie. Um, So I do think you need to be selective. So if someone uh, wants to find you, or because you have a bunch of programs too, don't you have kind of a group coaching program as well? So let me tell you about what you should look for in finding an excellent coach. Would that be okay? Yeah, that would yeah. be great. I actually think that would be helpful for your yeah, listeners. I think that because would be so And don't, you can't do the shortcut of giving them your phone number. <laughs> well, they certainly, can, they certainly can find me and-, and We'll have that in the show notes. Yes. You bet, yes. you bet. So actually, what I think is really important important is that you look for someone who is certified through the ICF. So sadly, really, the bar for entry to becoming a coach is really low. What is the ICF? What does it stand for? So ICF stands for the International Coaching Federation. Okay. Coaching really came out of Europe, and then it hit America Hmm. on the coast. This is why you haven't heard of it until maybe the last decade, and now it's finally getting to the Midwest, which is where we are. So the ICF is international. That is who sets our best standards for excellent coaching. There's a board of ethics. I mean, we have all kinds of things that we have to agree to to be part of the ICF. They also have rigorous um, training. Uh, and requirements to become certified. So you would look for someone who's certified through the ICF. You also could look for someone who is board certified, and I'm both. Uh, Board certification means that you have to have a master's degree, and you sat for the boards like people do for nursing or like I did for my counseling. So I actually think it matters a lot that you look for someone who's certified not just in their program, because you could take an online co- course. I actually saw this last month for free, three credits, no and you way. can call yourself a coach certified through that program. Oh wow! So that's kind of BS. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. looking for who has credentials for me, it matters. I'm the daughter of two educators. I think sure. it matters that you know what you're talking about. This so. one that I just have to get helpful. to. Yeah, um, let's hear it. Can you coach people to be more emotionally intelligent? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. So we know our IQ, um, how smart we are, is really fairly, especially as an adult, fairly stable. Mm -hmm. Your mind's very plastic and elastic as a child, so we can influence through nurture IQ when we're young. Um, EQ is very coachable. So I think about EQ in this way. Um, Imagine a window pane, so two by two. Emotional intelligence is self-awareness. Here we're coming back to mindfulness. So self-awareness and management or control. So um, self-awareness and then the ability to regulate or control or manage ourselves is the first side of emotional intelligence, the way I think of it. The other side is others. So our awareness of others, how might Mm. they feel? Do we have empathy? Do we have compassion? It takes us back to being kind again. We don't have to agree with everything, but can we at least put ourselves in other people's shoes and be kind? So this awareness of others 
And then as a leader, how do we manage? Can we inspire others? How can we show up in a way that brings people with us? Is it forced on, like, do they actually, like, it actually, I guess the question is, is it genuine? Like, because you could take the extreme and say there's someone that's sociopathic and actually can't feel what other people are experiencing. Can, using that extreme, can you, can those people still do the things that help them at least appear to be emotionally intelligent? So the question would be, so if we really have someone who's a sociopath, the definition of that is that they are not able to experience empathy. So maybe not there. So I'll say there's some limits. But for most of us who are reasonable adults, absolutely, we can teach that. We can teach skills. There's all kinds of tools. I, I think very visually, so I'm often bringing models. Um, and we're practicing, we're creating really new neural pathways, new habits, new ways of thinking, new ways of being, which then brings us, pulls us into that ideal future. I bet that's a big component of what you coach on because sometimes when you're a small business person and you're just getting started, the reason you're successful is because you are motivated and you will work your tail off to make things happen. But as your organization grows, and you have to become more emotionally intelligent because you're working with such a big group of people and you have to lead these people, the skill set needed is different. Is that what you find? Absolutely, it does change. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's there's challenges with that because the other thing that happens is often, and and people who are scrappy entrepreneurs, they just sometimes have thinking errors. They think everybody's going to show up and work that hard and be that creative, be that innovative. That's not actually true. No, No. definitely not. 70% of people, (laughs) if we think about our our learning zones, 70% of people live in a comfort zone. They don't like change. They don't want to do things differently than they've done. They drive the same way to work every day. They eat the same breakfast every morning. They like comfort. Only 20% of people love to be in that learning zone. So, oh, so wow. that's I didn't the difference. I realize that it was that big of a difference. Yeah, it's Watson. small. And then we have 10% that are kind of in the high risk zone. Those are people who are maybe so far on the cutting edge that they put themselves or the business at risk. Mm, interesting. There's interesting. a ton of stuff I want to go over. Oh, I know. Things, you know what? We're going to just have to have Sarah back. Yeah. I think that's... Although we do want to know what book you would recommend to people. So I'm an avid reader. Anybody who works with me knows this. I'm usually taking notes. I try to read what my clients are reading, so I'm paying attention to what they're doing. Actually, the the last book I finished, which is what I'm thinking a lot about right now, is The Book of Joy. That's a book with the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, Mm. Archbishop, Archbishop Tutu. And it's really about... How do we choose a life of joy, and how do we choose to think and focus on that? It's really oh, that sounds really incredible. Kind of comes back to mindfulness. Yeah, and positive psychology as well. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we really develop and and uh, make joy part of our lives yeah. and our main focus, especially when things seem really out of control? For sure, for sure. And thinking about joy as a state of being. Mm is very different. So we can think about happiness. Happiness to me is kind of surface level. Mm -hmm. Joy is this ability to experience deep, meaningful fulfillment in Mm. your life where you can hold 
not only the the beauty, the wonderful things in life, but the challenges and embrace it all. So you really experience that depth and breadth of life and appreciate it and see the beauty that's there. So it is not necessarily related to happiness. It's it's different. Happiness is kind of the average of everything and joy is an ability to be able to appreciate or whatever. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. well, we just want to say thank you so much, Sarah, for being here. So your um, company information will be in the show notes. We should probably say it, though, because a lot of our stuff is on Apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do they yeah. get all What's your website? Uh, so it's freelancoaching.com. Uh, spelling is challenging, so look it up in the notes. I'm sure you guys will have the right spelling. On YouTube. Yes. It's, well, it's funny, you guys, because I feel like we could talk another three hours. Oh, my God. I feel myself. like we could as well. I, I feel like, oh, I don't even know if I answered the oh, things. Oh, you answered all of our questions. Stuff. and Well, I, this is just part one of a part of a <laughs> ten part <laughs> series. I, but I'm happy to come back. You know I would love to okay, do that. Let's well, do it. it was just, just lovely to speak with you and finally get to know you in person. Yeah, after really. your nice. amazing reputation precedes you with all of our friends who go to Furling Coaching for many needs, not just coaching, but also for consulting. And um, I know you do EOS. Yeah, so so we might want to talk about that really quickly. I have been an EOS implementer. However, I'm practicing Elevate to Delegate in my own business. So now I have two EOS implementers who provide that service for me. But I know it, but I'm not doing it right now. Not going to be doing it in 2021. So people can go to your website and get a lot of different resources for whatever their business needs are. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. It's been a delight. Thanks, you guys. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers. Bootstrappers.